Because I am an alcoholic. This drinker finally found the answer to her nagging question, why? I suppose I always wonder who I was. As a child, isolated in the country, I made up stories inventing myself along with imaginary companions to play with. Later, when we moved to a large city and I was surrounded by kids, I felt separate, like an outcast. And although I learned to go along with the cultural norm as I grew up, still underneath, I felt different. Alcohol helped. At least I thought it helped until I saw the oppressive 30-year shadow it cast on my life. I discovered it in college, and although at first I didn't drink often, didn't have the opportunity, whenever I started, I drank as long as there was any alcohol around. It was a reflex. I don't remember liking the taste, but I liked that it seemed to bring me to life and get me through a date or a party able to talk. It moved me outside of that hole I felt in myself and lowered the wall I created between me and any person or situation that made me uncomfortable. For 10 years through college and graduate school, interspersed with jobs, I drank periodically. So it was easy enough to think that I was a social drinker. Looking back, I saw that alcohol helped me construct an image of myself as a sophisticated metropolitan woman, diminishing my feelings of being a backward country girl. I studied vintage wines and selected them with care to accompany the garment dishes I learned to make. I read about the correct drinks for various occasions. I learned to put just the tiniest whiff of dry vermouth into my martinis. Meanwhile, my tolerance for alcohol grew so that while at first I got sick or passed out, as time went on, I could hold larger quantities without any visible effects until the next morning's hangover. Behind the facade, my real life seemed just out of reach. I wanted to consider myself grown up, but inside I felt small and helpless, hardly there at all. I would look at my friends, delightful, interesting, good people, and try to define myself through them. If they saw something in me that made them want to be with me, I must have something to offer. But their love for me was not a substitute for loving myself. It didn't fill the emptiness. So I continued spinning fantasies, and now alcohol fueled my dreams. I would make great discoveries, win the novel prize, Nobel Prize in medicine and in literature as well. Always the dream was somewhere else, further off, and I took a series of geographical cures in search of myself. I was offered a job in Paris and jumped at the chance. I packed my trunk, left my apartment to my boyfriend, and sailed off, thinking that at last I would find my real home, my real self. I began to drink daily and rationalized that in France, of course, you have to have wine with meals. And after the dinner, after the wine, then there were liqueurs. My journey and letters bear witness in the deterioration of my handwriting as the evening wore on. Drinking, as I wrote, it was there, too, that I first became dependent on alcohol. After work on the way to the, the Alliance Frank case for class, I stopped at a bistro for a glass of cognac to give me the courage to get me there. My knee 
my need greater than the embarrassment of being a woman drinking alone in the 1950s. On vacation, I went to visit friends in Scotland traveling slowly through the English and Welsh countryside. The bottles of cognac and Benedict I brought for as gifts for them, I drank in the little hotel miles before I got there. As long as it lasted, I could stay out of the pubs. Europe hadn't proved to be the change that it would repair my life, and I started west again. I was in Cambridge that I pronounced my first resolution about cutting down. New Year's resolution I recycled for a dozen years with my drinking and my life kept getting worse. Alcohol had enslaved me. I was in bondage to it, although I kept assuring myself that drinking was a pleasure and a choice. Blackouts began baking places in my life when hours would disappear, lost to memory. The first time was after I'd given a dinner party. The next morning, I woke up without remembering that I told my guests goodnight and gone to bed myself. I searched the apartment for clues. The tables were cluttered with dessert dishes and coffee cups. Bottles were empty and the glasses too. It was my custom to polish off any drinks that were left. My last memory was something during dinner. Did we ever finish? But there was the plates. I was terrified that I'd done something horrendous until my friends called to tell me they enjoyed the evening. One time we sailed from Guadalupe to a little island for a picnic, swam to shore from the ship after lunch and quantities of wine. I was with a French ski instructor talking to a troop of small boys on their way home from school trying to explain to those tropical Islanders what snow is like. I remember them giggling. The next thing I knew, I was back at the camp, walking to the dining room, apparently after swimming back to the ship, sailing to the port, then taking a rickery bus across the island. I had no memory of what I had done during those hours between. The blackouts increased, and my terror increased with them. Telephone bills would inform me that I made late-night calls to distant places. I could tell from the numbers whom I called, but what had I said? Some mornings I woke up with a stranger who had brought me home from a party that night before. These things weighed heavily on me, but I couldn't stop the drinking that had caused them. That too nagged away any remnant of self-respect I might have had. I was incapable of controlling my drinking and my life. I needed a drink to go any place, to the theater, a party, a date, and later to work. I would leave my apartment, lock the door, and start down the stairs, and then turn around and go back in for another drink to get me where I planned it to go. I needed a drink to do anything, to write, to cook, to clean the house, to paint the walls, to take a bath. When I passed out and fell into bed early, I woke up four or five and had Irish coffee to start the day. I discovered that beer was better than orange juice to ease my hangover. Afraid my college or students, colleagues, would smell my breath at work, I was careful to keep my distance. When I got up late and rushed off to the lab, fortified only with coffee, my hands shook so badly it was impossible to weigh out the milligrams of compounds needed for an experiment. When I went out to lunch with another alcoholic, we might never get back to work that day. 
Somehow, I still managed to keep my job and most of my friends, social drinkers who were urging me to cut down on the alcohol. That counsel only made me mad, but I was concerned myself. I asked the therapist I was seeing, sometimes with beer in hand, would I have to stop? His answer was that we had to finish, find out why I drank. I already tried, but was never able to find out why until I learned the answer in AA, because I am an alcoholic. With my attempts to cut down, I stopped keeping alcohol around the house, drank up whatever was there over and over, deciding not to get home, get more. Then on the way home, after work or an evening out, I have to see if I could scrape together enough money for a bottle. There were liquor stores just about every block, and I rotated them so the salesman wouldn't know how much I drank. On Sundays, when the liquor stores were closed, I had to make do with beer or hard liquor from the grocery. The horrors grew, inner horrors. On the surface, it looked as though I was more or less keeping it together, but day by day, I was dying inside. Filled with fears I couldn't name, but which shook me to the core. My worst fear was that I was an alcoholic. I wasn't sure what that was, except that I might end up down on the Bowery in New York, where I had seen drunks curled up on the sidewalks. I made another New Year's resolution to stop drinking entirely until I could handle it, and then I told myself I could go back to wine and beer. Hands trembling, Body shaking, head spinning, I survived the first day until I was fairly safe in bed and alcohol-free apartment. Somehow, I made it through a couple of more days. Miserable and withdrawn, in spite of managing to stay dry that time, I have no doubt that resolution would have crumbled like the others, and I would have been drinking again if I hadn't found AA. I had left a therapist who hadn't been able to tell me why I drank, and on New Year's Eve, I went to a party at the home of my new therapist. A few days later in the group, the therapist said, you're drinking even more than I realized. You're an alcoholic. I think you should stop drinking, see a doctor, and go to AA. My resolution had endured three days, and I protested. I am not an alcoholic. That's why my very last denial. That was my very last denial. Say it the other way, he suggested. I am an alcoholic. It came out in a whisper, but it sounded right. I said it thousands of times since then and with gratitude. What I all, I was most afraid to admit that evening was that would set me free. What I was most afraid to admit that evening was what would set me free. The therapist told me then and there to call someone who had been in our therapy group, a doctor on the staff of a hospital alcoholism. I'll call her tomorrow, I said. Call her now. He handed me the telephone. When I asked her if I was an alcoholic, she said that from what she's seen of my drinking, I might be, and suggested that I talk with her boss. Terrified, I made an appointment and kept it. She told me the symptoms of alcoholism, and I had them all. She gave me a list of AA meetings and recommended one. I went to the meetings, a small woman's group. I was scared and in withdrawal. Someone greeted me, and I muttered my name out loud. 
Someone brought me a cup of coffee. People gave me their phone numbers and urged me to call to pick up the telephone instead of a drink. They were warm and friendly. They said, can you come back? And I did for weeks. I sat in the back of the rooms. Silent. In back of the room, silent. When others share their experience, strength, and hope, I listened to their stories and found so many areas where we overlap. Not all of the deeds, but the feelings of remorse and hopelessness. I learned that alcoholism isn't a sin. It's a disease that lifted the guilt I had felt. That lifted the guilt I had felt. I learned that I didn't have to stop drinking forever, but just not pick up the first drink one day, one hour at a time. I could manage that. There was laughter in those rooms and sometimes tears, but always love. And when I was able to let it in, that love helped me heal. I read everything I could about this disease. I have my readings recounted the course I had lived and predicted the way I would die if I continued drinking. I had access to a good medical library, but after a while, I realized the genetics and chemistry of the disease were of no use to me as an alcoholic. All that I needed to know about it, what would help me get sober, help me recover, I could learn in AA. I was blessed to live in a city where there were meetings all hours of the day and night. There I would be safe, and there, within a few blocks of my apartment, at last, I would find the self I had traveled thousands of miles in search of. The slogans on the wall, which first made me shudder, began to impress me as truth I could live by. One day at a time, easy does it. Keep it simple, live and let live, let go and let God. The serenity prayer. Committed and service were part of recovery. I was told that to keep it, we had to give it away. At first, I made the coffee and later volunteered at the inner group office answering telephones on the evening shift. I went on 12-step calls, spoke at meetings, served as group officer. Ever so gradually, I began to open just a crack at first with my hand on the door, ready to slam it shut in a moment of fear. But my fear subsided too. I found that I could be there, open to all kinds of people from this solid base that we shared. Then I began to go back out into the world, carrying that strength with me. I found that now I could do many things without a drink. Write, answer the telephone, eat out, go to parties, make love, get through the day until the evening, sleep at night, and get up in the next morning, ready to begin another day. I was amazed and proud to have gone a week without a drink, then a month. Then I lived an entire year sober through my birthday, Christmas, problem, success, the mixture that makes up life. I healed physically, felt good. My senses returned. I began to hear the delicate sounds of autumn leaves rattling in the wind, to feel the touch of snowflakes on my face, to see the first new leaves of spring. Then I began to heal emotionally, to experience feelings that had long been so deeply buried they had atrophified. For a time, I floated on that pink cloud, 
Then I cried for a year, raged for another year. My feelings returned and then began to settle down to a reasonable size. Above all, I healed spiritually. The steps took me on the, that path. I had admitted I was powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable. That was what got me through the door. Then I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And eventually I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood God. Years before my search, I had explored numerous religions and dropped them because they preach a patriarchal God, which I felt never included me. Alcoholics Anonymous, I was told, is a spiritual program, not a religious one. Through my years of darkness, some sparks of spirit remained in me, helped me survive until I found my way into AA. Then, nurtured by the program, that inner spirit grew, deepened until it filled the emptiness I had so long felt. Step by step, I moved to a spiritual awakening. Step by step, I cleared up the past and got on with the present. AA is my home now, and it is everywhere. I go to meetings when I travel here or in foreign countries. And the people are familiar, I can know because of what we share. As I write this in my 28 year of sobriety, I am amazed to look back and remember the woman or child I was then to see how far I have come out of the abyss. Alcoholic Anonymous has enabled me to move from fantasies about what I might do with my life into living one day at a time, living it one day at a time. In my first move that was not a geographical, I left the city and moved to the country. I left research and became a gardener. I discovered that I'm a lesbian and that I love women. I fulfilled a longtime dream of writing fiction that was being published. But these are things I do, aspects of the life I'm living in sobriety. The most precious discovery is who I really am. Like all of us, a being far beyond any of the ego selves, any of the fantasies I made up. The most precious discovery is who I really am. Like all of us, a, a being far beyond any of the ego selves, any of the fantasies I made up. The sense of being different, which had long plagued me, disappeared when I saw the threads that run through all of us. Sharing our stories, our feelings, it is the areas where we are the same that impresses me. The difference are but delightful flourishes on the surface, like different colored costumes, and I enjoy them. But the basic ways we are human, the basic way we simply are, stand out to me now. I come to see that we all are really one, and I no longer feel alone because I am an alcoholic.